Hey, welcome to the Rain and Morale podcast. So do you ever feel like screaming out in the office, on Zoom or outside the school gates, for the love of God, come on, really? Then if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rain and Morale. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but in a fun and unique British style with sarcasm, tenacity, and maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how, through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or TOWIE with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on, really. So enjoy. Hi, Minu. Welcome to the Road and Rail podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And I'm delighted to have Minu on the podcast today. A totally cool, young... Um, entrepreneur who is the founder of the Green Sprint. Um, Minu is currently based in Morocco and I love the fact that Minu can kind of lift and shift and work wherever she likes. So remote worker and um, traveling around. So it's uh, it's, it's fantastic to, to see that and, and obviously must be an absolute pleasure for you as well. Uh, Minu has always worked in kind of creative innovation facilitation but her sweet spot now is very much about all things regenerative. So regenerative leadership, cultures, mindsets, um, etc. Oh, and she disappeared and came back again. Yes. Okay. I completely lost you there. So maybe you want to restart? That was like, I, I lost you after the first second. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. I'll, um, hold on. I'll tell you what. I, I will... Hi, Minu. Welcome to the Rain and Morale podcast. How are you? I'm good, Rona. Thank you for inviting me and having me over. Oh, you're very, very welcome. So I'm delighted to introduce uh, Minu, who's currently based in Morocco. She has the amazing advantage of being a remote worker. And um, as, a, as a nomad, she can kind of lift and shift where she wants to work. Minu's background has always been in creative, innovation, facilitation, um, but her real sweet spot now is all things regenerative, uh, hence why I've brought her into the podcast. And that could be around mindset, leadership, the way we do things within business. Um, so welcome again. And we are going to dive straight into that um, topic. And I guess first, I'd love to ask you, what's your kind of definition of kind of regenerative uh, leadership and thought leadership? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking, because this is something that there's quite a lot of discussion around still. And uh, it, it isn't completely clear clear for everyone what regeneration is. And sometimes you start talking about it and people just sort of glaze over or they associate it with like agriculture only or medicine in many cases, regenerative medicine and everything. But for me, um, regenerative leadership, regeneration is really about leaders who understand that um, to build a society uh, or a future that is regenerative 
and just and inclusive and really just works for everyone and all entities, not just human beings, but all living entities and living systems, that to reach that, that we have to uh, step over our ego and really start thinking in systems, um, start thinking long-term, generational, um, inclusive as well, that we have to take care, we have responsibility uh, for all living systems and that we really have to go beyond this business as usual mindset. And depending on in what kind of position you are or what you're doing, regenerative leadership can be anything. It's not only like C-level executives, but it can, can, it can literally be anyone. It can be, it can be your mom, it can be um, the person who, who for example, uh, cleans the office, it can be the CEO of the office, it can be anyone who lives on this planet and wants to take a more active role in, in building a, a regenerative and just future. And with regenerative, then I mean that all entities have the capability to fulfill their full potential. So we're not stifling um, the, the ability of these entities to come to that potential. And then with entities, can be anything can be creativity in, in a person. It can be a river that gets back to its full potential by us stopping with polluting it. Uh, it can also be a business that instead of destructive uh, knows its place within the systems and helps other um, systems to also thrive. Okay, amazing. Thank you. Listen, for anyone who is um, hearing this, it'll be absolutely fine. But if anyone's watching on a YouTube, we may get the occasional freeze and drop out uh, with uh, Minu being in Morocco. Um, I've actually travelled to Morocco. I got married actually in Morocco in the Sahara Desert. So I know what the wife is like out there. <laughs> which is random when I got married in the Sahara Desert and I don't really like sand. But anyway, that's for, a, that's for another interview or another story <laughs> for another time. Um, thank you for that. And can I ask you, as someone, um, you know, kind of coming through into the world of work, what made you take this direction? Why are you going into this direction, you know, at such a young age? It's been a, it's been a journey and, and, like, I'm grateful that I'm in this direction right now, but looking back, I I sort of wish, like, it's a bit pointless to wish that right now, but that I've went in that direction sooner. Because uh, I've always I've always wanted to go in the direction of impact, of social change. And ever since I was a little kid, I I asked why, why, why about everything. And, and my parents thought, like, that's going to stop at some point. It didn't. It just kept going, and I never accepted anything. I didn't accept... That's just because that's how it's done. I didn't accept traditions. I didn't accept any of these things. Like, no, because that's how it's always done it. Like, didn't make any sense to me. I just wanted to know why. And when I was working within sustainability, because I wanted to create a, a better future, I was still thinking, like, why, why are we limiting ourselves to sustaining, even though that it's quite clear that a lot of what we're sustaining is currently not in a good state. It is not really helping us. It's not good for it's not good for our mental health. It's not good for nature. It's not good for ourselves. It's really not good for for anything besides like really rapid um, development over a couple of decades. But we've in many countries, mostly world countries like westernized industrial countries, we've seen enough of that. Like it's it's enough. It doesn't make sense anymore. We have to find our way back to being in sync with nature and to really work in a regenerative way. Um, 
but for a very long time, I didn't want to go in the direction of regeneration just because of the silly reason that I was often stopped. And people are like, no, sustainability is hard enough. Sustainability is enough. It's already difficult to get uh, over the business as usual mindset. And we have to just focus on green growth. And like, I tried to make it work, but it didn't. For me, yeah. green growth and sustainability, even though sustainability is an important part of regeneration, it was just not going to cut it. It wasn't, it didn't have the positive angle that I was looking for. And um, regeneration really, really does. So for me, that just made, it just made sense. And the moment I was comfortable enough to start working on it and talking about it, everything clicked. Um, I'm very yeah. happy with it. <laughs> I think it is. And I think when often when you go into it, you think about green, sustainable, ESG, um, sustainable development goals. And then actually when you take a step back and you realise the very word and definition of sustainability is carrying on doing what you're doing. Um, a lot of the time in consumerism, especially when it comes to business, which is obviously what you you focus on, um, that in its very sense, when you take that layer away and you start to like I've done look at regenerative what does that mean I love the way that you know your your friends and colleagues have gone no it's way too hard and you know don't go there it's you're just going to hit a load of brick walls but that's what resonates doesn't it and I and I think that when you apply systems and interconnectivity to regenerative actually suddenly it makes a lot more sense than this jarring Oh, it's just a carbon offset. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense because I think that brick wall, that is what we have to run into because how are we going to really go through systems change and a societal change to the extent that is necessary to create a situation in which we can all thrive without hitting a brick wall? Like if it's, if it, that is like, if we do it without that level of friction, we're not really changing anything. So it seems to be impossible without without the wall. So I think the moment that we start feeling uncomfortable, that's when we have to like yeah. power through. And I guess as part of your your business process, one of the things that we I guess we've all learned in life is the massive value of complete and utter failure and how important that is and whether it's times such as now where we have war, we've got climate, we've got other cost of living crises it really dials up that drive for innovative thinking, doesn't it? And whilst it's frustrating to have to have those things to trigger that, it is a very exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. The moment there is a lot of like tension on all the systems within society, within people, like you see it in everything. You see indeed war, soil depletion, food insecurity, the cost of living, but also mental health uh, problems, levels of suicide, loneliness, um, people having less sex. Like there is so much friction in all the things that are normally natural. There's tension everywhere. And I think that tension, people start feeling it and then they're ready to change. If that tension wasn't there, they wouldn't want to change because changing is like really hard. I love that quote by Naomi Klein that says uh, building livable communities isn't rocket science it's much harder than that it's about the hard non-technical work of changing people's behavior and yeah. that is that is so true that is what really really is the tricky part and that's also why i focus so strongly besides on regenerative leadership really on human-centered design so taking design thinking and dear you consideration 
at every point because we can we can build products and solutions that are more sustainable or circular or anything <clears throat> but if if the people cannot work with it if they don't like accept it in their life if they're not willing to to start buying different products or engaging with products or with each other in a different way then like what are we doing it's not gonna it's not gonna do anything it's not gonna set in the ground yeah yeah it's like it's a bit like when i when i see the back of a um a, a lorry for the range and it says we have sixty five thousand products i'm like holy shit like what what could what human could possibly need <laughs> even a community need that and that's just you know one business one one sort of set and it's been quite funny because the last few days i've been watching the hunger games and believe it or not even for me he's 45 i've never seen it i've just started watching it with my um youngest daughter and actually there's so many similarities in that film where it's like we control what you do um you you are part of that system but we control that system and we take take but then the pushback there's nothing there and then the rebellion and you know the way my daughter's questioned that and connected it to life I guess is a lot of those questions you did as a child and and now replaying that back to businesses I love that that is that is a really cool observation she's absolutely right indeed now I'm thinking about it there's a lot of like intentional disconnectivity between people and like stifling rebellion and just pretending that that is the, the level you can get onto life. Wow, impressive. Yeah. Read the books because they're even better. Are they? I'll I'll I'll, I'll definitely tell her to, to do that. So listen, let's let's dive into let's say I'm a business and really haven't got a clue where to start. I've got relatively small team. How do you first engage with businesses to then say, to shift from BAU, business as usual, to how we take you on the journey. What, what would you do? So uh, I always keep with the three simple steps, and then there's a lot in there. But I start with mindset, move on to strategy, and then to innovation. Because uh, all the way at the beginning, a couple of years ago, like I have a master's in creativity and innovation. So I rolled out of my studies. I was very excited about lateral thinking, about design thinking. And I wanted to create more sustainable products. And I was like, okay. Love the design sprint method. We can apply that to um, sustainable product issues as well in the fast-moving consumer goods industry. Let's do it. Doesn't work. Because if you start doing that with the old mindset, it's garbage in, garbage out, business as usual, mindset in, business as yeah. usual, product out, maybe in a sustainable jacket. And then you end up with these scary examples of what happened yesterday that boho in the fast fashion industry hires one of the kardashians to be the sustainability ambassador like they clearly didn't go to the mindset process first because they don't understand my work that. my work here is done yeah <laughs> absurd absurd i was like that's the world backwards um so very very important is focus for a very long time on mindset and make sure that everybody in the team actually sort of becomes um, this regenerative practitioner. And actually, I just dropped a uh, quote on LinkedIn this morning, and I found it in this uh, this book this morning by Bill Reed from the Regenesis, the Regenesis Group. He's been like practicing um, being a regenerative pr practitioner or in his journey for around twenty seven years, and he explained. Mm -hmm. 
the role of a regenerative practitioner or regenerative facilitator, which is what I do. Such a beautiful way. I'll just read the quote to you. Please. Our fundamental deliverable in a project is building the capacity and capability of participants to carry this regenerative way of being and thinking forward. My role is to help birth that. My role is also to deliver a successful project process. And this can be a very delicate and awkward dance until the participants get catch the importance of self, group and system actualization. And I think that is exactly what it is at the beginning of a process. Like it's not a it's not a step-by-step process. There is not a clear framework that I would follow. It really depends on the group. Um, but it is important that you work for such a long time with a group of people that they start understanding um, the five facets that are important for, for regenerative practices. And then you can move forward. Those five yeah. facets framework thinking so the ability to see the world in different frames so you can use like design thinking and theory you and everything for that uh systems actualization so we were talking about at the beginning like really enabling other systems to thrive self-actualization like if you're not going to the journey if you're not a regenerative person yourself if you're fully 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 linear career stress stress all systems you're never going to be able to build a regenerative community of business or be a healthy part of the system. Development of facilitating is what I just described. And then living systems understanding. So understanding that you're a part of all these systems and how it's embedded. And also make sure that that is your compass in all decision-making. Yeah. And getting to that point that required, that can be done in a lot of different ways. Like I love riddles. I love going through riddles with people, um, interactive exercises, ecosystemic systems mapping, where you just like map out your life and see where regenerative action is required. Uh, busting your assumptions, um, like yeah. so many different ways actually uh, to to dig deep. So it's it's a very both individual and group process goes back and forward yeah. to it and. Yeah, it's a bit strange that my, my business is called the Green Sprint because I think in this phase of a um, of the sprint towards a more green, yes. uh, it's so important. And the best way actually in this moment is like slowing down is the best way to speed up. So you have to slow down in the mindset process, slow down actually I think the strategy. So make sure yeah. you really have like your strategy in order. You come back to it. Like, okay, does this make sense? Is this not still built with a business as usual mindset? Like what are the assumptions here that we built this on? Like, what is the, what is the way of what, what do we think success means? Like what's the underlying meaning of success under this strategy? And then once you've worked through all that, when you come to innovation, that's where you can speed up, fail, test, implement, and continue yeah. to, you know, but at the beginning, yeah, focus on mindset for quite a while. Yeah. It's such an important topic because as somebody who's a, a, you know, an ex-innovator and has worked in that space, actually in FMCG for sort of four or five years, that was always the hardest starting point, bearing in mind that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're designing and presenting to key stakeholders, C-suite individuals, all with very, very different mindsets but also quite linear thinking in terms of, well, I'm head of supply chain, so that's my focus, and I'm actually, frankly, doesn't really matter. So I think when you look at the basic principles of innovation, 
um, mindset and then interconnectedness. I think one of the most powerful things that I ever did was I, I, I basically followed a product from its, from its birth, if you like, to the shelf and actually spent a ridiculous amount of time through that supply chain. And I think that's really empowering when you take major individuals, senior individuals on that journey as well. Um, and I think that that ability to uh, mix the systems and understand them, I think is where people then start to regenerative. So again, it's it's not new news, is it, regenerative or systems? It's it's always been there. Nature's been doing it for millions of years, but it's just opening people's eyes again rather than having this really kind of focused look at the world. Yeah, we just had a sort of 250-year error. But before that, like, we've been always regenerative. Indeed, it's nothing like after people say it's a new concept. It's like it's a new concept in a linear, destructive, capitalistic world that we have created. But that world hasn't been around for so long. It's like literally blinking your eyes if you if you put it in like the, the space of the actual world. And people just don't understand it. It's like that is yeah. also a very tricky part where like, but this is how it's supposed to be. This is this is how the world is. Like, no, this is how we designed it to be. And it is doing what we designed it to do. It's doing what we intended it to do. Is that is maximizing profit. And yeah, churning out as many products as possible. Um, but that's not what it per se has to do. Like it's a system so we can also redesign it. And I think getting this message across to as many people as possible in an accessible way, because that is frankly what is bothering me a little bit with the regenerative space. It's a bit over complex, a bit right. inaccessible, a very academic, like, okay, I understand that we want to be smear and precise and like really uncover like what regeneration actually means and what, what it can do but I think we also have to do that in a way that is accessible and that we can more can we get other people on board um, instead of doing it perfectly straight away which also think no such thing yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like when people go, well, what do you mean by that? It's just a diversion technique. We as humans hate change and we, you know, we don't like new buzzwords. But as you say, strip it all back. It's it's always been there. It's just yeah. and let's be honest, this is always, especially in the area that you're you're working in. If you're talking um, business, any business, it's always going to come down to commerciality and the 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 shareholders and stakeholders of that business yeah absolutely absolutely we just have to broaden our perspective of what that means what like value means what shareholder means uh what stakeholder means yeah exactly do you, do you think we've got um a finite amount of time do you think that no, no, there's a lot of companies that will just carry on business as usual they're just thinking well i've got five years left or 10 years to retire kicking it you know kicking the can down the road how long do you think we've got before people are going to have to capitalize you know put the value on nature and bring it into the business or do you do you have hope for that or do you just think the one percent will always be the one percent and nothing's going to change i find this very this is this is, this is a hard question Sorry. 
Uh, no, it's a good question. The, the, the problem with it is, is that there will always be ignorance and selfishness in people. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is that I mean, what's happening in Pakistan right now is a great example, is the people who added the most to this destruction of our ecosystem and climate change aren't the people who are going to suffer it the first. So whilst everyone in Pakistan and in other places around the world is already really, really, really hard and devastating, like living to these consequences, I'm going to go back to the Kardashians, the sustainability ambassador of a fast fashion brand is up high and dry and exceeded her, what was it, exceeded her waste limit, uh, no, her water limit on her property with 459,000 liters. Like if that is a sustainability fashion, if that is a sustainability ambassador for a fashion brand, I think we have still a very, very very long way to go and you see the same with like billionaires that are talking about sustainability and everything flying around in private jets and to be honest it's going to take a really long time for them to feel it because they have the resources to not feel it like even if everything goes to shit they just buy a a high and dry piece of land somewhere build a property and make sure they're comfortable there if that is going to change anytime soon I don't know and that's also why I really do not want to focus or put my um, yeah, priorities on, on trying to change the mindset of these people. I really think it has to come from yeah. SMEs, from grassroots, from communities, from like new policymakers, all of that. And those people, they probably can sustain for thousands of years. I mean, I see the matrix. Yeah. The whole world is is completely to shit, and still people find a place like make it work somewhere in another yeah. universe or anything. So, yeah, it's a bit of a weird analogy, but I think there will always be people that keep destructing, even though that everybody else yeah. isn't. But I don't think that matters. It's annoying. Yes, it's not what our focus should be on. No, no, I, no, I, I, I would, I, yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I think I was, what was, who was I was talking to, I was talking to somebody uh, this morning and there was a, a, a young um, group of people who are, who have kind of studied in sustainability and engineering and have come out with this amazing piece of kit. Um, and, you know, it's so amazing to see all of those new SMEs and startups coming through now to take on you know, the the business as usual. And I think we're just going to have an uncomfortable 50 years. I just hope that within that 50 years, I mean, I'll probably be dead if I see, <laughs> if I see 95, great. But if not, you know, um, it, it does give me hope. Uh, I do have hope. How, how do you deal with or do you deal have kind of this whole um, fatigue and, and maybe feeling like, you know, this hitting the, this brick wall constantly rather than I'm in a sales team and I've hit my targets every month and I'm flying high. And yes, of course, they have their bad moments. How do you deal with it if if you do get those feelings? You mean like climate anxiety or yeah. the feeling that I want to shake the world because not enough people seem to get what we're facing? I think probably a little bit of both, but climate anxiety... Climate anxiety is a hard one 
I think for me, how I deal with that, and that is probably not the most regenerative way of dealing with it, but it's the way that I am dealing with it right now is I do my best to learn and as best as possible and unlearn as much as possible to be like the regenerative practitioner that I uh, need to be to help others and help other businesses. And the moment that I can't deal with it anymore or it gets to me, I dive in the world of fiction novels. <laughs> yes. I read a lot of books. Yeah. Amazing. That helps getting away from the screen, reading books. Just like yesterday after a long day of working, I just spent one and a half hour watching the sunset and reading Dracula, which has nothing to do with those worlds. It's like written hundred years ago. It's quite dark, but I love it. That's my... I don't know. I think, I think it's probably got a lot to do with it. The real world, actually. <laughs> In a way, yeah. Uh, but there, I think, I think there are a couple of ways that you go about it. Like you, could, you could go through your climate anxiety, your eco anxiety, and like find a way to deal with it. Or like um, Rob Harrison Plasto from the Pathfinders Collective says, "Beautiful, like uh, how to be happy at the end of the universe or at the end of the world, something framed like that." Um, which I think is a really, really good question. Um, and probably to do that you need a lot of like sharing moments and talks long talks with other people and that's why I do love traveling um, yeah because I can talk about this with people from all over the world and everybody is, is going about it in a different way and um, yeah that is that that is very helpful as well on the other end it's also painful like for example like I try to or actually I train everywhere so I, I went to Morocco by train and by foot uh, and I'm going back by train as well and sharing up car options and all those kind of things. Uh, but then there are a lot of people around me that just fly everywhere. Like there's a really good example of I'm going all the way back home to the Netherlands in two weeks by train. That's going to take me four days, 34 hours of sitting in a train or in a bus and yeah. A lot of money because it's a lot more expensive than flying unfortunately still something we should work on as well but i love yeah. it. I use these 34 hours to read all the books of regeneration that i've come across in the last couple of weeks and i haven't read yet uh just kind of like process and look out of the window and do my thing um but there was this girl that i was living with for a while um in a co-living and she is going to fly to kenya via ireland because that was the cheapest Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, those yeah. moments are, are hard. And I tend to get into uh, a lot of conversations about this. And I've learned to not then start preaching, yeah. but start listing all the benefits of going by trains. Like, it's really cool. And then you can get, see all other cities on the way. You can, like, work and, like, I don't know try different food in different countries because you're traveling yeah. and you really see how the world is changing around you it's not as like okay get in a plane be somewhere else like you don't see the transition you don't understand the complexity of the world um so you always try to give it that positive twist yeah it's hard like sometimes i just want to like, shake people but that is not that's not helpful <laughs> no no and I, i'm a bit like you i think i i kind of there's no point preaching but it's great to share different viewpoints and I'm very much I I just read in my head I kind of go I feel like I'm on the right side of the the topic rather than denying it 
And secondly, for me, it's, you know, like you say, living and breathing it where best you can. I did a post recently about being a planetary citizen and I, and, and a lady gave some really great feedback about, well, what if you're um, living in a flat or you're living in India? And I went, yeah, all of these things are relevant, but people like me who, who have been fortunate to be born in a developed country, and as you said, are responsible for most of the um, issues now facing, you know, developing countries. Um, it is my duty to do more. So I think trying to live and breathe by it, feeling like I'm on the right side of the argument, but also knowing that I'm not perfect. And, you know, if anything that I'm doing is harmful, absolutely, let me know, shout out. And and I, that's the way I kind of get it in my head. So if someone wants to say, well, you've not got a train or you've flown or why are you buying that material and not that material? I go, well, if you can prove that it's more damaging to people or planet, great, I'll stop. If it isn't, what's your problem? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how I, yeah. if it gets ever argumentative, because sometimes it can do, it can get quite heated. And I, I think it'll have to be about, like, it has to be a sustainable way as well. Like, you can now go off the grid, live uh, fully circular, have no like live zero waste, go vegan, plant your own food and everything. But like how are, how long are you going to be able to keep that up? Like I always say to people as well, we eat like a lot of meat. If you can keep up being a flexitarian for 80 years and you can keep up being a vegan for a year, like please be a flexitarian because that's a lot more helpful then. Uh, so yeah. you don't have to be, you don't have to be perfect. And to everyone who has to be like, yeah, but because if you said like what you do if, if like you live in a flat in India or the whole like we don't have to change because like developing countries still have to grow um yeah and develop further to all of those i would say no just no i'm not even like going to dive into this discussion everybody understands when we're talking about sustainable behavior change and degrowth we're talking about sustainable behavior change and degrowth for the countries that have impacted the most have created the most negative impact and where we need sustainable behavior change nobody is going to ask a developing country like india jason hickel said that perfectly in the green growth degrowth debate uh, last week nobody is going to tell those countries stop developing until you meet like the the whole the donut until you can sustain all the basic human rights for people absolutely not it's about the developing countries keep developing till a certain level and the overdeveloped countries that go in deeper, the overdeveloped countries that yeah, change their behavior. And I find this discussion, so the pointing fingers, so fascinating sometimes. It's like, mm. I don't even know how someone's brain goes there. It's like, are you deliberately trying to not understand that nobody's going to ask that from developing countries? Yeah. I don't know, the absurdity sometimes. I know, I know. And I think, and also what we, what we should also be doing is actually as those developing countries grow, be giving those the, you know, the tools and materials. There's some great alternatives now, some new, recently new developments, you know, whether that be um, packaging, whether that be uh, building cement uh, alternatives so they can develop. But, you know, it's not our fault. We, 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 it is our fault, but we were developing materials through innovations and, and from, you know, 50, 100 years ago. 
Um, now we've learned the lessons, we can then help those developing countries build and grow infrastructure, healthcare, education using our knowledge and science. And the other way around as well, because I wouldn't say it was a one-way street. It's also we can still learn a lot from from like the indigenous communities and cultures that we have been overrunning for so long. And the cultures that they've managed to actually keep a collective approach to life and not well fully individual, which, which causes quite a lot of problems as well. So it really is like a two-way street here where I think we have to start embracing open innovation and, and stop being so so protective and just like really understand okay this is a global problem if you zoom out that that like this is a cliche but like there's no borders if you zoom out and take a picture of the earth uh, from space and i really think that is how we have to approach and tackle um sustainability and regeneration as well and yeah. stop being so so pointy fingers and, and and protective and just understand okay this is a global issue and we are gonna try our best like living systems understanding and systems actualizing uh, actualizing try our best to enable all these systems to collaborate and, and create this this future in which we can live because if we keep hogging and like putting so much emphasis on these on these borders and on you me and win lose now we're never going to get there yeah well listen that sounds like a perfect place to start what's hugely exciting is that there are young people out there like yourselves doing what you're doing um you know what's key that you've talked about today is that continuous education you know listening learning looking at opposing opinions because you have to look at the 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 opposite side yeah I always say to my kids there's not two sides to a story there's 50 or 100 so um I think it's hugely exciting to have you in this in this space um look have a safe trip back on that train um back to the Netherlands and listen it's it's obvious for a lot of people not everyone can take five days to travel back time is precious and but like you said it's about trying to do what you can do educating you're not perfect but actually if everyone made those incremental shifts as a, as a general population there'd be a huge shift in consumer behavior which would just be incredible um thank you so much Mino. it's just been incredible to talk to you yeah thank you as well really enjoyed it excellent take care and safe travels thank you. so that's it you've made it the show's over Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem, or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Road and Morale podcast. Have an awesome day, and see you next time.